Right, welcome back to the podcast, and I am really glad to have my friend Pastor Kelly Folks on the podcast. And first of all, I just need to say thank you so much for doing this a second time. Um, my my laptop crashed, and I almost always save save my episodes in the cloud, but for whatever reason, a whole series of things, and so I lost this episode. We are talking about, still talking about neurodivergent clergy. In this episode, we talk about accountability, finding people to help us with that, normalizing neurodivergence as well as mental health within the church, things to be aware of, whether we're working with people who may be neurodivergent or even for our, uh, as we do self-reflection, if we're one of those people who think, Hey, maybe this is maybe this is the case for me. I have suspected it, but I really want to get tested. But I believe you will enjoy it. There's some great nuggets of truth in this episode, and I do have one more that we'll be posting right after this, which is on dyslexia, and then that will probably be the end of the neurodivergent series at least for now. And I have some surprises coming up for you including I'm closing in on episode 100. So one of the things I would like to do is as we get closer to episode 100, I want to give away a $100 gift certificate to Barnes & Noble. This is what you need to do in order to be have your name put in that drawing. Uh, I'm going to have you share the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, and tag me in it as well. I'm currently locked out of my Facebook account. I've, I was hacked and I can't get back in. So I'm probably going to end up having to delete that hacked account and start a new Facebook page, a new Facebook account. Unfortunately, the podcast page is also linked to my Facebook account. Here's what you can do. Uh, you can one, either tag me on Instagram because that account is secure. Uh, either at joanne.c.bastine or, you know, this is her story. Um, Anyway, I'll put the links in the show notes to both of my Instagram accounts, one for the podcast, one for myself. The other thing is, if you post it on Facebook and share it, take a screenshot and send it to me. I'll put my email address in the show notes, and that way you can send me the screenshot there and that your name will be entered in a drawing. Uh, for the $100 gift certificate. All right, so you have, I think this is episode 95 or 96, so you still have a few more episodes before uh, I select a winner. So you'll have probably the entire month of June. All right, thanks for joining me here on the podcast and enjoy the episode. We've been trying to tell better stories about women and clergy in the church because we really need to tell better stories. Instead of just complaining about it, what if we flood the airwaves with something different? Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> For you and congratulations on your baby. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, how, how old? Uh, two months. And are you on like maternity leave? I'm back to work. <laughs> Alrighty, thanks for coming to the podcast. We, I'm, I'm doing this series on neurodivergent clergy, different aspects of it. 
Now you yourself are not neurodivergent. Correct. But you are clergy and you're a clinician. So let's start with first, what's your role, your clergy role? And then let's talk about your clinician role. So I am an ordained elder for the Church of the Nazarene. I am full-time children's pastor. So that is my clergy role. And then I am a clinical, I have an LLPC, which is a limited license professional counselor in clinical counseling. So that's through the state of Michigan. So that's my part-time job is I'm a counselor. Yeah. And what do you do? Are you in a school? Where's your counseling? No, I am in a practice in Flint. So I'm technically an independent contract. Now, do you work primarily with adults or children or do you both? I do both. Remind me again, did you start this process first or did you do this alongside of your call to ministry? They pretty much coincided with each other. It was just kind of where God wanted me at which time. Because it was when I was a youth leader, um, like volunteer youth leader at our church that I was called to start the process of getting my master's in counseling. And then as I would like we moved and I was getting my master's and it was during that time that I actually started as a children's pastor. Were you in the process yet? You weren't in the process yet to become a pastor. So what was that that prompted you to go in that direction so it was a really small youth group. We were, I was living in Nebraska and it was just this small church, small youth group. And I realized that every single one of these kids had something that they were dealing with. And I really didn't want to screw them up <laughs> So, without giving them like actual sound advice that I could say, yes, I've learned how to do this. Yeah. Like your family crises and school and like yeah the whole whole thing that I mean everything from neglect and abuse to like one was about to be in a court case for a sexual assault and then just family dynamics of drug use or alcohol use as for the parent um things like that so I get you don't think about that you know, in small towns of Nebraska but it's the reality everywhere it's not just in Detroit and Flint so thinking about whether somebody is working with students or maybe for themselves, mm-hmm. what are some signs that they might be looking for either in either in students or congregation members that they're working with or in their themselves mm-hmm. um, that might say, hey, there's some kind of a neurodivergent diagnosis here that might you might want to get tested for? So, I mean, the Whatever it is, whether it's you are hyper-focusing in on things that you just can't divert yourself from to focus on something else, or maybe you are always distracted and can't seem to focus on anything, maybe your attention to detail is so particular that everybody but you notices, (laughs) things like that. But the bigger question is, does this impact my everyday life to a negative effect. Because if it's doing that so that you can't fully function in a way that you should be able to, that's when you need to say, okay, maybe there's something else going on here. And it's not just situational. It's not just, you know, the stress of the week or whatever. Maybe we need to get something looked at. You know, I think what's interesting is, especially people who are diagnosed later in life, like it's been so much part of our life that we're like 
well, is it impacting your life? Well, I don't know. I've always lived like, like this. Always, <laughs> right. I've always lived like this, but you know, you know, I guess like if you're missing appointments and those kind of things, it does affect you. But I have noticed that even I didn't realize how much it affects every part of your life. So in your own family, you have uh, several children. And so you have a few that fall into that category. What were some of the signs that you noticed that you're like, oh, we better really follow up on this? So with my son, he so he's in first grade now. And there was just things throughout from probably before age two, so probably like a year and a half. Where it's, okay, that's a little bit odd, but I don't know if it's age-related. You know, maybe he's just behind a little bit developmentally or socially. Um, And so really for him, we kind of had to wait and see. Things like not making super great eye eye contact or losing eye contact quickly. Like he can't hold eye contact. When he started kindergarten last year, it it was really tough to tell, okay, is this pandemic kindergarten (laughs) right where everything is chaos and nothing makes sense so it's just a difficult year in general or or what's going you know is it him I don't know and God really really worked everything out with his teacher being somebody that we knew ahead of time that he knew she knew him so she was able to say hey I think there's something else going on when I would bring stuff up and she could verify Whereas other teachers who wouldn't have known him wouldn't have known because they were only in school for like half the year. (laughs) So, right. So a teacher wouldn't necessarily know that there's anything off. So with him, it was a lot of social stuff where we were noticing the social gap is starting to increase um, between he and his peers where they're moving on this way and becoming more and more interactive with each other. And he's staying back here able to fully function by himself he enjoys playing with other kids that's not the issue but he has um, different interests that's another thing with him is he loves factual things so if you give him an option between a fiction book or nonfiction, he's gonna choose nonfiction, especially if it's about bugs which that's always fun so I mean I find an array of pet spiders and praying mantis and everything around our home. It's always really fun to find whatever we're going to find for the day. Yeah. I, I guess, you know, if you could navigate their special interests, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One of these nice <laughs> categories. <laughs> yeah. So like my rule with him is okay. You can have a pet spider, but it lives outside. If it comes yeah. inside, it's dead. Sorry. Right. But, right. Yeah. yeah. Like how much <laughs> What about rocks? Do you like rocks? Right. <laughs> yeah, right. You're you have another child too, but it's a different it's different uh neurodivergent, right? Yeah, or... so my daughter, my oldest daughter, hers is it's not neurodivergent per se, um, but it's within that same realm of she deals with anxiety big time. Um and hers is something that it was from birth, it's not situational. But different situations bring out different outcomes, um, influences to that anxiety. And then through the process of my son's diagnoses and all of those, my husband is going, oh, oh, that was probably from me. Oh, oh, that's what it was growing up. 
Yeah. He's, he's realizing he falls into a lot of those same categories. Yeah, we, I know we definitely, <laughs> my daughter's like, why did you give me all the bad stuff, mom? <laughs> right. Yeah. But I gave you my creativity. <laughs> what is the difference between anxiety and like, let's say being a highly sensitive person? So, I mean, they can go hand in hand. They really can. Anxiety is basically, so I describe it when I have my clients, I ask them what they think it is. And I have them tell me when you're about to have a panic attack or an anxiety attack, what does it feel like? And so what they describe for me is where we start. So, okay, something happens and your brain all right here in the prefrontal cortex and that's where our logic is, but it's also where our emotions lie and the future, like what do we see, what do we hope and dream, all of that. And it's when the logic and that future mix and you can't differentiate the two. So then they start to think, okay, you know, so like there's supposed to be thunderstorms tonight, right? Or at least here there are. So somebody who is super anxious they are going to see this thunderstorm and so okay the thunderstorm's coming tonight and then that future thinking goes and then but what if it brings a tornado okay well now i'm panicking because now it's not just what if it's there's going to be a tornado tonight and now i have to hoard all my stuff i have to go down in the basement i have to do all these things to prepare for this tornado and i'm waiting it out even though there's no sign of a tornado and so then their heart starts racing and their face gets red and they tense up and it just cycles. It goes right into the amygdala and it goes fight or flight or freeze. And they are in response mode, survival mode. And that's what our body naturally does is it goes straight to survival mode. It sends all the signals to the brain of you've got to survive. And the problem is the brain has no idea that this is a false alarm. And for a highly sensitive person, that tends to be more, I don't know if I'm understanding it correctly, you're just like all of your senses are just really heightened. So if it were the thunderstorms coming, highly sensitive person is going to be on alert, but they're not necessarily preparing for the worst. So they're going, okay, a tornado could come out of this and I need to be aware of that. And I'm watching the weather app. I'm making sure that I don't have any alerts, but they're not already in the basement. Yeah. Now, I'm guessing probably as a children's pastor, you experience, you have children that would be fall in these categories, right? Yeah. They're neurodivergent, whether they're ADHD or autistic. Right. How, do, how do you shape ministry to help them? I think that's like the everyday question. <laughs> how do we do this? So I always have lots of fidgets around. So each of my classrooms has a baggie full of fidgets that my leaders can give to whoever they need to. Now, the problem with fidgets is I always try to not buy the most popular ones because that's like the big thing right now, whether you're neurodivergent or not. They're like, oh, yes, we all need fidgets. No, you really don't. Like now it's just a distraction. So that's always kind of funny because all these fidgets that were really made for a purpose right. are just like the cool thing to play with. Um, I try to not buy the most popular fidgets for that reason, but I buy ones that work. So yeah, I have fidgets for kids. It really depends on the kid. So that's where it's important for me to know all of the kids in my ministry as well as I can. 
there's one kid that we've had in the past where I noticed that when he would struggle was when we were breaking between large and small groups. And it was literally just the act of putting up a wall to go into his small group class because we have dividers that do that. And so during our last song, right before we were to break, I sent him and his uh, teenage buddy on a walk around the church. And so he never saw the wall go up. When he'd come back, they were already in small group and he could just join the class. That's interesting. Something about it just... It made it difficult for him. It just made it difficult for him. So it really, it's just kind of knowing who you have and trying to figure out what those triggers are um, and working with each one individually. And it takes time. Something can work for so long and then all of a sudden it stops working too. So knowing that it may not last forever. So you got to continue to figure out what works. One of the things I've noticed is that we women tend to be underdiagnosed. I'm, so I'm starting to notice that there are a lot of women who get to be into their 20s and 30s and you, can, you, you do okay for a while, but then you get into your, you know, your career, your vocation or whatever, and everything's changing. And so that's when you really start to then experience, okay, things aren't working out, which is one of the reasons why I'm doing this series. Because I think there are probably a lot of clergy out there who are undiagnosed who would benefit from help let's say people are starting to have that starting to question and think, okay, I have definitely have something. I'm either dyslexic or maybe I have autistic signs or ADHD or whatever it might be. How would they go about even getting tested? And then, then when you talk a little bit about the value of counseling. Um, so, I mean, if you're questioning like, okay, should I get tested about this? If you're really curious, there's tons of online tests that you can just take. You just Google, uh, you know, ADHD assessment or something like that. And a lot of times they'll give you a relatively accurate yes or no. Now, I wouldn't take that assessment and say, okay, well, now I have ADHD and then go about your day, right? Right. (laughs) Yeah. But that's a good starting place just of a, okay, that makes a little more sense. And then I would seek an actual diagnosis from a professional. You can get assessments through counselors, through psychiatrists, um, and even through your like primary care physician. Psychiatrists are probably your best bet for an accurate assessment. And they're also who you would need to seek out if there's something significant enough that you need to be prescribed medication. That's a, a good starting point. Probably, would you say that medication in, in that case is better through a psychiatrist than your PCP? I would because they know which, I mean, your PCP knows medication. They go through all that training too, but your psychiatrist will know exactly what you need for the mental health aspect. And where your primary is, yes, this helps with anxiety, but they don't necessarily know what kind of anxiety you have, how it affects maybe uh, ADHD or all of those comorbid diagnoses that go together. Right. Um, and that's where a psychiatrist would help. You talk about like, what's the benefits of some of those? Because I think people who haven't gone don't understand how it can help them 
So counseling is really beneficial because it gives you somebody else to use as a sounding board a lot of the time. So you're going, I know there's something wrong. I don't know how to fix it. And so, you know, you talk to your friends or your family and they go, yeah, there's something wrong. We don't know how to fix it either. Right. Right. (laughs) Or yeah, well, duh. And you're going, how was I the last person to know this? But when you go and you go to a counselor, they're able to say, yeah, but it doesn't make it so that you can't function. Like, let's work through this. Let's give you tools to use so that you can function fully with a diagnosis, not because of a diagnosis. That's where it's helpful. And then you go, wait, you mean I do this because of this? I hyper-focus on things because I have ADHD, not just because I'm obsessed. (laughs) Like, yeah. And so that's where it's good because you have somebody you can talk to. They know about your diagnosis and it doesn't bother them. Right. We deal with that every day. That's nothing new. That doesn't bother us. And we want you to succeed in whatever you're trying to do. So let's work together to give you the tools to do that. Yeah, I think that is true. Like being able to talk about a situation and and not be like, such a weirdo. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they... (laughs) This is what they do. This is what they, you know, um, I, I, I had that conference back in March and, you know, and my therapist put together, you know, we put together a plan, you know, we right. worked a couple of weeks to put together a plan of how to go to this conference and not mm-hmm. um, be completely overwhelmed. Uh, you know, I think there's those aspects of it that we don't realize of somebody has to teach you how to do that. Well, who's going to teach you? What are the different, can you just List off a couple of different types. Like I know there's CBT, I know there's talk therapy, but I know there's a couple of different ones, right? Um, yeah, so there's different types of therapies. So yeah, CBT is a big one. It's cognitive behavioral where you're kind of changing the mindset, which changes the behavior, um, which changes the outcome. That's your biggest one for neurodivergence, really. Talk therapy is always good. I have I do that with a couple of my clients. So we've worked through a lot of stuff through CBT and now it's talk therapy. So it works really well for them as well. Is that the main one that you're trained in? Because I it know is. a lot of times you get special, you get trained in a specialty, right? Okay. Yeah, you can be, um, or you kind of pursue a specialty after you graduate, but I'm mainly trained in CBT. So that's really where my main focus is. I'm listening to a podcast right now and they're talking about integrated family systems new and I I don't know a whole lot about it but I mean they've been talking about it so I'm like oh this is kind of interesting (laughs) yeah that's yeah that's family systems that's a kind of the family dynamic and how so how the family acts and behaves is how you act and behave and how all those work together of mom did it this way so that's why I reacted this way and I, I'm not that I haven't fallen down that much of a wormhole so <laughs> I can't I can't quote Roy or Young or anything <laughs> just Jesus I just quote Jesus <laughs> I think that's probably the best one anyway so we just talk to people who are pursuing a call to ministry maybe they already know that they have a diagnosis or they're suspecting they have a diagnosis what's the value of letting other people know is there a value like couple of questions I've had from listeners has been, you know, hey, I've like, I know I have this issue. I have an actual diagnosis, but I'm not telling anybody because I don't want them to think, you know, bad thing about me, but whatever, think right. that I, I'm not capable of doing my job kind of a thing. 
now here I am having it on the podcast today. <laughs> like, 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 why are you telling people? I'm like, well. So there's a couple of reasons that that would be valuable. For one, then you have some sort of accountability there. And I'm not saying that you need to like broadcast it, right? right. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. All good. Uh, especially if you're just starting out and you, maybe your church doesn't know you very well. Like you don't need to tell them all these things from the pulpit, but you do need to let at least a few people know just of a, Hey, if you see me acting in this way, this is why. And if I need pulled out of that, you have permission to tell me like, Hey, stop hyper-focusing on this or that little detail is okay to be let go, you know? things like that. It's always good to have somebody in your corner that can help you pull you out too, in a loving way, understanding why you're doing it and not just thinking you're an odd one. It's going to be a whole lot better for everybody if there's some understanding there. I think there's still, it's not nearly as bad as it has been in the past, but there's still a disconnect between mental health and the church. And I think that it's always beneficial when we from the pulpit say mental health is a thing and it's okay to get help. I mean, Jesus does amazing things and yes, he can take away some of those same struggles, but sometimes he chooses not to. And it's okay to go talk to somebody about that. And it's okay to be on medication for some of those things. It's good for those of us that can say, I struggle with this myself to let somebody else know that they're not alone. And that they can talk to somebody about it. Yeah, I think that is really important, the normalizing of it. it. I hear people say, well, it feels like everybody's on medication. I'm like, well, if you actually know the numbers, it's not, that's not the case. Right, yeah. We just, we're, we're trying to normalize mental health like we do. Physical. Yeah, physical health, physiological yeah. health, right? Yep. Uh, you know, we tell people to take their insulin, right? <laughs> you know, please you take do. your insulin. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. And for people who are neurodivergent, they are saying that there is actually, like it is a, a wiring, like their brain yeah. is wired differently. Yeah. Yeah. It's not situational. It's, they really, they are born this way. Their brain is wired differently. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just how they are. But you still have to learn how to use that power that you've been given and figure out how to make it work within current society. Well, definitely. And and I think there's definitely some benefits, right? I mean, oh yeah. Neurodivergence brings some I always tell my ADHD clients and my son, like, you're given a superpower because you can think of a million different things all at once. And then you can focus in on whatever one thing you want at a time. The only problem is then you lose focus of that and you're on to the next thing. So you got to learn how to hone in the focus on what you have to focus on, not just what you want to. Right. Any tips for helping people to focus? No, um, I always tell them, like, make a list. Okay. So if, especially if it's something you have to get certain things done, right? So you make a list. These are all the things that need done. And if you're ADHD, your list is like a mile long and that's okay. But then you just have to go through that and say, okay, what has to be done and do those first? What do you want done? Those come next. And then what can wait till later? So just break it down into smaller 
smaller sections so it's not as overwhelming. And then give yourself breaks too. A lot of post-it notes. I would show you my wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did know, I did see too recently on uh, Amazon, they have a, a Pomodoro timer. And yeah. It looks like a stop sign. And so like, like each, yeah. each side is a time. So you turn it and then you do the work and then it goes off and you turn it again. You know what I mean? And yep. then you take a break. And then when that goes off, you turn it again, then you start. Yep. Yeah. And so it's like pre, it's like pre-programmed for you. So I'm like, okay, exactly. I might, ha- I might have to, it's only like 20 bucks. I might have to get that. So when you hyper-focus on something, especially if it's like, we can really love our jobs, especially as clergy, there are certain things we really love to do. So then we end up hyper focusing on that. And then it's like three hours later and you haven't done anything else except for that one thing. And then your kids are like, where's dinner? I'm starving. It's always good to uh, take a break. Yeah. I've had to start using a timer when I want to do some research on stuff. Yeah. Because I will fall down (laughs) either the Pinterest or the YouTube rabbit hole and not come out. My daughter be like, mom. You right. have stuff burning on the stove. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or I'm still in my pajamas and it's like <laughs> 11 o'clock. I'm like, oh, yeah. I was going to get dressed and do other ones. Well, anyway, thanks. I appreciate you doing this, especially uh, one, doing it a second time, and two, <laughs> doing it while you're, when you got a little baby. Any last words of advice you want to give to clergy out there? Remember that God made all of us unique. Like, He, even instructed that we are all part of one body. So it doesn't matter what, if you're neurodivergent or neurotypical, we are still part of that body and we are meant to work together. Yeah. We need you. We need both. We need the neurodivergence and the neurotypicals. And if there's ever a third category, we need them too. I'm sure there will be someday. 